Alfred Russell Wallace, 1823-1913, was a British naturalist, explorer, geographer, anthropologist, biologist, and illustrator. He is best known for independently conceiving the theory of evolution through natural selection. His paper on the subject was jointly published with someone called Charles Darwin in 1858. This actually prompted Darwin to publish his own book, the very famous On the Origin of Species, No one remembers Wallace much more, but Darwin is considered one of the most influential people in human history. Charles Robert Darwin, 1809-1882, was an English naturalist, geologist and biologist. Best known for his contributions to the science of evolution, his proposition that all species of life have descended over time from common ancestors is now considered widely accepted foundations in science. In that joint publication with Alfred Russell Wallace, he introduced his scientific theory that this branching pattern of evolution resulted from a process that he called natural selection, in which the struggle for existence has a similar effect to the artificial selection involved in selective breeding. A chap called Sir Charles Lyell, 1797 to 1875, was a Scottish geologist who demonstrated the power of known natural causes in explaining Earth's history. He is best known as the author of Principles of Geology in 1830, which presented to a wide public audience the idea that the Earth was shaped by the same natural processes still in operation today, operating at similar intensities. Lyell's Scientific contributions include a pioneering explanation of climate change, in which he suggested shifting boundaries between oceans and continents could be used to explain long-term variations in temperature and rainfall. Lyell also gave influential explanations of earthquakes and developed the theory of gradual backed-up building of volcanoes. Then there's a chap called James Hutton, 1762, died 1797 who was another Scottish geologist, agriculturist, chemical manufacturer, naturalist, and a physician. Often referred to as the father of modern geology, he played a role, a key role, in establishing geology as a modern science. Hutton advanced the idea that the physical world's remote history can be inferred from evidence in present-day rocks. Through his study of features in the landscape and coastlines of his native Scottish lowlands, such as the Selsbury Crags or the Sicker Point, he developed the theory that geological features could not be static but underwent perpetual transformation over long periods of time. From this, he argued conversely to the accepted religious tenets of his day that the earth could not be young. It had to be old, possibly ancient. Darwin was therefore one in a long line of thinkers or new revolutionary thinkers, on how possibly humans, animals, and the planet generally came to existence or evolved into existence contrary to traditional religious thinking. Let's look at Darwin again. Darwin went on a five-year mission, a voyage of discovery around the world on the HMS Beagle, captained by one Robert Fitzroy. I've always wondered if Star Trek got some of its ideas here. 
But anyway, Darwin spent most of that time on land investigating geology and making natural history collections while the Beagle surveyed and charted coasts. He kept careful notes of his observations and theoretical speculations, and at intervals during the voyage his specimens were sent to Cambridge together with letters including a copy of his journal for his family. Darwin's book was only partially written when on the 18th of June, 1858, he received a paper from Wallace describing natural selection. Shocked that he had been forestalled, Darwin sent his copy on that day to Lyle as requested by Wallace, and although Wallace had not asked for publication, Darwin suggested that he would send it to any journal that Wallace chose. That groundbreaking book, titled On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life, was published on the 24th of November, 1859. Samuel Horton, who was an Irish scientific writer was also famously a critic of Darwin. Horton saw the printed version of the papers and attacked the theory briefly in remarks made to the Geological Society of Dublin the next year in February 1859. Horton wrote, This speculation of Monsieur Darwin and Wallace would not be worthy of note were it not for the weight of authority of the names under those auspices it has been brought forward. If it means what it says, it is a truism. If it means anything more, it is contrary to fact. Darwin later commented in his autobiography that this was the only response to the papers summarizing Horton's verdict as all that was new in there was false and that was true was old. In 1860, Horton set out his opinion that Darwin's theory was founded entirely upon speculation but also that this speculative theory belonged originally to someone else and that the differences between the two men's work were generally negligible. Horton's own work on animal mechanics led him to believe that the structure of species was designed by an intelligent creator. In his book Animal Mechanics, he commented that the farmer of the universe had designed all muscles so they could perform the maximum work possible under given conditions. In the preface to his book, he was open to the possibility of theological evolution. Evolution was governed, what he called, by a divine mind, and nothing was left to chance. Darwin became Darwinism, a movement covering a wide range of evolutionary ideas. In 1863, Lyle's geological evidence of the antiquity of man popularized prehistory, though his caution on evolution did disappoint Darwin. Weeks later, Huxley's evidence as to man's place in nature showed that anatomically humans are apes. Then, the naturalist on the river Amazons by Henry Walter Bates provided empirical evidence of natural selection. Having published On the Origins of Species as an abstract to his theory, he pressed on with experiments, research and writing of his big book. He covered human descent from earlier animals, including evolution of society and of mental abilities, as well as explaining decorative beauty in wildlife and diversifying into innovative plant studies. Darwin's book, The Descent of Man and Selection in Relation to Sex, is a book 
that was first published in 1871, which applies evolutionary theory to human evolution and details his theory of sexual selection, a form of biological adaption distinct from yet interconnected with natural selection. The book discusses many related issues, including evolutionary psychology, evolutionary ethics, difference between human races, difference between sexes, the dominant role of women in mate choice, and the relevance of evolutionary theory to society. In short, you should know that evolution of species and of humans and of the earth was thought of in the 1800s in Britain. It was revolutionary enough to make Darwin a celebrity in his own right. Think about how revolutionary the theory of evolution was. Imagine all the religious doctrine that suddenly got shot in one go. Both the 1859 and 1871 publications have changed the way schooling is done. Check out episode 7 on education after we are done with this pod for more on the lies they teach at school and how that shapes us. Anyway, since then, the theories of creation have seen a slow decline, while the theories of evolution have seen a rise in popularity among the decision makers and other elites. Now when you go for a dig and find a cave painting, well it makes sense, we evolved over time. Then if you find a T-Rex dinosaur bone, well it makes sense. People could suddenly attach history, archaeology, astrology, physics, geography, geology, biology and other studies to deconstruct and reconstruct our past. But here again, evolution is theory. No one was there when the Big Bang happened. Check out my episode 6 on History of History for more on that. No one saw the T-Rex. All this is a theory, a good one, but nevertheless a theory. To answer the five things we all want answers to. Who, what, where, when, why. Evolution is one of the theories where we just want to know where we came from. I know I'm going to get slammed by the science lovers, but I will state that I do like this theory. I do like evolutionary theory. But it is not so fun. Creation theories, sometimes also known as creation myths, are a lot more fun. You get a day off for Christmas, but not for evolution day. You'll get weekends for no reason other than the Christian God rested on Sunday. Religious feasts and festivals are a ton of fun, but observing the evolution of man is, well, less fun. That's why our human minds need fun. Simple and interesting stories. Who cares if the chicken or the egg came first, as long as the chicken can be slaughtered, cleaned, cut up, cooked and served in tasty coconut curry over rice. Creation myths or creation theories or creation facts take your fancy. Developed in oral traditions and therefore typically have multiple versions found throughout human culture. They are the most common type of human myth. Let's look at a few. The myth that God created the world out of nothing, also known as ex nihilo, is central today to Judaism, Christianity and Islam. And the medieval Jewish philosopher Manimundes felt that it was the only concept that the three religions actually shared. Interestingly, the concept is not found in the entire Hebrew Bible. The authors of Genesis 1 were concerned not with the origins of matter, but with assigning roles so that the cosmos could function. In the early 2nd century AD, early Christian scholars were beginning to see a tension between the ideas of world formation and the omnipotence of God, and by the beginning of the 3rd century, creation of ex nihilo had become a fundamental tenet of Christian theology. 
Exhanilo creation is found in the creation stories from ancient Egypt, the Rig Veda, and many animistic cultures in Africa, Asia, Oceania, and North America. In most of these stories, the world is brought into being by the speech, dream, breath, or pure thought of a creator. But creation ex nihilo may also taken place through a creator's bodily secretions. Historian David Christian has summarized issues common to multiple creation myths. And I'm quoting Christian here. Each beginning seems to presuppose an earlier beginning. Instead of meaning a single starting point, we encounter an infinity of them, each of which poses the same problem. There are no entirely satisfactory solutions to this dilemma. What we have to find is not a solution, but some way of dealing with the mystery. And we have to do so using words. The words we reach for, from God to gravity, are inadequate to the task. So we have to use language poetically or symbolically. And such language, whether used by a scientist, a poet, or a shaman, can easily be misunderstood. End quote. That was David Christian, the historian. The ancient Egyptians had many creator gods and associated legends. Thus, the world, or more specifically Egypt, was created in diverse ways according to different parts of the country. Some versions of the myth indicate spitting, others, masturbation, as the act of creation. The union between the first divine couple brought forth another brother-sister pair, Geb and Nut, who in turn created Orisis, Isis, Seth, and Napatithis. An extension to this basic framework was that Orisis myth involving God, his consort Isis, and their son Horus, the murder of Orisis by Seth, and the resulting struggle for power, won by Horus, provided a powerful narrative linking the ancient Egyptian ideology of kingship with the creation of the cosmos. In all of these myths, the world was said to have emerged from an infinite, lifeless sea when the sun rose for the first time in a distant period known as Zip Tepi, the first occasion. The Fon creation myth is the traditional creation story of the Fon people of West Africa. Various versions of the creation story are told. In most, the creator is either Mawu, the moon being the mother of all gods and humanity, or Mau Lisa, the sun moon being who is both female and male. In others, Nana Buluku is the ultimate creator and deity who gave birth to the female Mawu and the male Lisa and passed the power over creation to them. The Mande creation myth is the traditional creation myth of the Mande peoples of southern Mali. The story begins when the Mangla, the creator god, tries to make a blaza seed but failed. Then he made two elusine seeds of different kinds which the people of Kitia call the egg of the world in two twin parts which were to procreate. Then Mangala made three more pairs of seeds and each pair became the four elements, the four directions as corners in the framework of the world's creation. This he folded into a Hispicus seed. The twin pairs of seeds which are then seen having opposite sex are deferred to as eggs or placenta of the world. This egg held an additional two pairs of twins, one male and one female, who were considered the archetype of peoples everywhere. Staying in Africa, according to the Kyuku creation myth, Nagai created humanity, first man called Gyaku, the first woman called Mumbi. Nagi created a mountain. As his resting place went on 
inspection tour and as a sign of his wonders. Gyaku and Mumbi bore nine daughters who became the origins of nine clans of the Kyoku people of Kenya. Let's move from Africa to the Americas. The Maya gods included Kulu Khan and Tipu. The two were referred to as the creators, the forefathers or the makers. According to this story, the two gods decided to preserve their legacy by creating an earthbound species looking just like them. The first attempt was man made from mud, but Tipu and Kulukan found that the mud crumbled. The two gods summoned other gods, and together they decided to make man from wood. However, since these men had no soul and soon lost loyalty to the creators, the god destroyed them by rain. Finally, man was constructed from maize, the Mayans' staple and sacred food. The deity Ismana is created is credited as being the creator of the calendar along with creating writing. According to the Cherokee creation myth, the first people were a brother and sister. Once, the brother hit his sister with a fish and told her to multiply. Following this, she gave birth to a child every seven days and soon there were too many people, so women were forced to just have one child every year. The story of corn and medicine begins with the creation of the earth and animals. Earth was created out of mud that grew into land. Animals began exploring the earth and it was the buzzard that created valleys and mountains in the Cherokee land by the flapping of its wings. After some time, the earth became habitable for the animals once the mud of the earth had dried and the sun had been raised up for light. Kutaristan is the creator in a creation myth of the Kiowa Apache from the southern plains of North America. His name means the one who lives above. The story of his creation tells that in the beginning, before there was earth or sky, there was only darkness. Into it came a small and then thin disc with yellow and white on its alternate sides, and inside it sat Kuristan, a small bearded man no larger than a frog. Kuristan is described as awakening and rubbing his eyes. When he peers above him into the darkness, it filled with light and illuminated the darkness below. When he looked east, the light became tinged with the yellow of dawn, and when he looked west, the light became shaded with amber tones of dusk. As he glanced about himself, clouds in different colours appeared. Then he rubbed his eyes and face, and as he flung the sweat from his hands, another cloud appeared with a tiny little girl called Sentilia. The name translates to as woman without parents. The two of them were puzzled as to where the other came from. He again rubbed his eyes and face and his hands together, and from the sweat flying as he opened hands, Chungai, the sun, and then Hitin Sikin, or pollen boy, appeared. After the four sat a long time in silence on a single cloud, he finally broke the silence to say, what shall we do, and started the creation. I will say that I do like this creation myth a lot, because it's the only one that has any connection, even remotely. There's a tinge of an alien invasion. And it's in the plains of North America where 99.99999% of aliens go. Viracocha is the creator deity in the pre-Inca and Inca mythology in the Andes region of South America. Viracocha created the universe, the sun, the moon and stars. 
and time and civilization. He was also worshipped as a god of the sun and of storms. He was represented as wearing the sun for a crown with thunderbolts in his hands and tears descending from his eyes as rain. In accord with Inca cosmology, he may be assimilated to Saturn, the old god, the maker of our time, god-maker, corresponding to the visible planet with the longest revolution around the sun. Moving away from South America to the steppes of Central Asia, there are many Mongol creation myths. In the most ancient one, the creation of the world is attributed to the Buddhist deity Lama. At the start of time, there was only water, and from the heavens, Lama came down to it, holding an iron rod from which he began to stir. As he began to stir the water, the stirring brought about a wind and fire which caused a thickening at the centre of the waters to form the earth. In the Turkic mythology, the myth aims to explain the foundation of the first Turkic Khan gate. The Ergenkan legend tells about a great crisis of the ancient Turks. Following a military defeat, the Turks took refuge in the legendary Ergenkan valley where they were trapped for four centuries. They were finally released when a blacksmith created a passage by melting the mountain, allowing the grey wolf Asina to lead them out. The people led out of the valley found the Turkic Khan gate in which the valley functions as its capital. Chinese classics record numerous and contradictory origin myths. Traditionally, the world was created on Chinese New Year and the animals, people and many deities were created during its 15 days. Some Chinese myths have familiar themes in comparative mythology. Nua, for example, is the mother goddess of Chinese mythology. She is credited with creating humanity and repairing the pillar of heaven. In Japanese mythology, the Japanese creation myth says that at the beginning, the universe was immersed in a beaten and shapeless kind of matter, i.e. chaos, that was sunk in silence. Later, there were sounds indicating the movement of particles. With this movement, the light and the lightest particles rose, but the particles were not as fast as the light and could not go higher. Thus, the light was at the top of the universe, and below it, the particles formed first the clouds and then heaven, which was to be called Takamakra, or the high plains of heaven. The rest of the particles had not risen, formed a huge mass, dense and dark, to be called the earth. And this is when the first three gods of Japanese mythology appears. I like this one too because it has hints, hints, slight hints, of connection to things like we discuss in modern physics, particles, so on. Moving from Japan to Central and Eastern Europe, the Slavic creation myth is one that explains how the world was created, who created it, and what principles guide it. This myth, in its Christianized form, survived until the 19th and 20th centuries in various parts of the Slavic world, in both chronicles and folklore. In the Slavic mythology, there are three versions of this myth. The first version is the so-called Earth Driver myth, which interwines with two main motives. The dualistic motive, i.e. the cooperation of God and the devil, that is the good God and the bad God, where it is required to create the world, and the oceanic motive, i.e. the pre-existing water, where the seed of the Earth comes from. The second version speaks about the origin of the universe and the world from the cosmic egg and the world tree. 
The third one about the creation is from a dismemberment of a primordial being. In Old Norse, Volva requesting silence from the sons of Hemdala, i.e. the human beings, and asking Odin where he wants her to recite ancient lore. She says she remembers giants born in antiquity who reared her. He then goes on to create a creation myth and mentions Ymir. The world was empty until the sons of Bur lifted the earth out of the sea. The Asir then established order in the cosmos by finding places for the sun, the moon and the stars, thereby stating the cycle of day and night. A golden age ensued where Asir had plenty of gold and happily constructed temples and made tools. But then three mighty giant maidens came from Jehomir and the golden age came to an end. The Asir then created the dwarves of whom Monstergur and Dunin are the mightiest. I want to digress and just apologize for completely destroying all the names that I've mentioned so far and I'm about to. It's bad, I know, and I am not prepared to go accurate on these names. So, moving on. We now go from Eastern Europe to what we call the cradle of civilization, modern Middle East or West Asia, whatever you like to call it, current day Iraq the Sumerian creation myth. The beginning of the tablet is lost, but the surviving portion begins by recounting how the gods, An, Enkil, Enil, and Ningsugara, created the Sumerians and comfortable conditions for the animals to live and procreate. Kingship then descends from heaven and the first cities are founded, Urdu, Bad-Tibera, Larak, Sippar, and Shrupak. After a missing section on the clay form, we learn that the gods have decided not to save mankind from an impending flood. Ziutsura, the king and goddess priest, learns of this. In the later Akkadian version recorded in the Astrahasis epic, Ia, Sumerian Enki, the god of the waters warns the hero and gives him instructions for building an ark. This is missing in the Sumerian fragment, but a mention of Enki taking counsel with himself suggests similar instructions in the Sumerian version. Then there's something called the debate between the sheep and the grain. The story opens with a location, the hill of heaven and earth, which is discussed by Chiria as not a poetical name of the earth, but the dwelling place of the gods situated at the point where the heavens rest upon the earth. It is there that mankind had the first habitat, and there that the Babylonian gardens of Eden is placed. Note, the word Eden means step or plain. So far in the Sumerian myth, we've mentioned Eden and floods. Wonder who may have copied and pasted that? Let's look at the Hebrew, Islamic and Christian creation myths. To be fair to the Muslims, creation myths mostly derive from the Jewish and Christian traditions. In these traditions, there is a distinct creation myth. In the Muslim tradition, there is less so. But nevertheless, Islamic texts do refer to the Abrahamic sources, both Christian and Jewish. As I'd mentioned at the top of this podcast, the Genesis creation narrative is the creation myth of both Judaism and Christianity. 
The narrative is made up of two stories, roughly equivalent to the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. In the first, Elohim, the Hebrew generic word for God, creates the heavens and the earth in six days, then rests on blesses and sanctifies the seventh day, i.e. the biblical Sabbath, therefore our weekends and days off. In the second story, God, now referred to by the personal name Yua, creates Adam, the first man, from dust and places him in the Garden of Eden where he is given dominion over the animals. Eve, the first woman, is created from Adam and as his companion. Staying in the cradle of civilization, let's look at the Babylonians. Enuma Elis. This epic is one of the most important sources revealing the Babylonian worldview. Over the seven tablets, it describes the creation of the world, a battle between gods focused on the supremacy of Marduk, the creation of man destined for the service of the Mesopotamian deities, and it ends with a long passage praising Marduk. Its primary original purposes are known, although a version is known to have been used for certain festivals. There may also have been a political element to the myth centered on the legitimization or primacy of Mesopotamia over Assyria. Moving slightly north to Iran, in Iran, according to the Zoroastrian myth, Maisha and Mashana were the first man and woman whose procreation gave rise to the human race. According to this myth, the sixth creation is the primeval beast, who was neither male nor female. Ahriman, the spirit of evil that dwelt in the absolute darkness, sought to destroy all that Ormond, a god, had created and sent the demoness Jeh to kill Germand. In this she was successful, but the moon, or Ma, captured his seed before the animal died, from which all animal life then grew. From his corpse grew a tree, and the trees of which were the origin of all plant life, and from the branches of which grew Masha and Mahina. Now moving from Iran to the Pacific Islands, specifically Maori culture. In Maori mythology, the primal couple Ragni and Papa appear in creation myths explaining the origin of the world, though there are many different versions of this. In one rather generalized telling of the universe's creation, in the beginning there was Ti Kore, i.e. the nothing or the void, which became Ti Koromuta, i.e. the parentless void, in its search for procreation. From it came Ti Po, i.e. the night, becoming Ti Pora, the long night, then becoming Ti Ponu, the great night, gradually to Ti Ao, the light, glimmered into existence, stretching to all corners of the universe to become Ti Otora, or the long standing light. Next came Ti Ata, the dawn, from which came Ti Maku, the moisture. Moving now from the Pacific Islands to India. In India, there are so many different creation myths depending on where in India you might be. I'm going to take some of the more known ones. Hinduism is a conglomeration or a group of distinct intellectual or philosophical points of view rather than rigid common sets of belief. As a result, the Hindu texts do not provide a single account of creation. They mention a range of theories of the creation of the world, some of which are apparently contradictory. 
This is due to the wide range of beliefs within the same group of people at the time of the writing of the scriptures. Two contradictory views could exist simultaneously with neither side trying to enforce itself on the other. Ancient India was the mark of a true hub of knowledge with conflicting views often living together. The Purusha Sukta of the earliest Hindu text, the Rig Veda, mentions Purusha, primeval cosmic being. The Purusha is described as all that has ever existed and will ever exist. This being's body was the origin of four different kinds of people, the Brahmin, the Rajana, the Vaisha and the Shudra. Viraj variously interpreted as the mundane egg, or the twofold male-female energy, was born from Purusha, and the Purusha was born again from Viraj. The gods then performed a yajna with the Purusha, leading to the creation of the other things in the manifested world from his various parts of body and mind. These things included the animals, the Vedas, the Varnas, the celestial bodies, the air, the sky, the heavens, the earth, the directions, and the gods Indra and Agni. And to quote directly from the Rig Veda, Who really knows and who can swear how creation came, when or where? Even gods came after creation's day. Who really knows? Who can really say? And when and how did creation start? Did he do it or did he not? Only he up there knows, maybe, or perhaps not even he. End quote. I love that quote. It basically states that no one knows where creation came from, or who did it, or if anyone did it at all. The Arteria Upanishad mentions that only the Atman, or the Self, existed in the beginning. The Self created the heavens, the sky, and the earth, i.e., Mara, the earth, and the underworld. He then formed the Pushara from the water. He also created the speech and fire and the Parna, i.e. the breath of life. The air and the various senses, the directions, the trees, the mind, the moon and other things were also created. In the Samakya philosophy, evolution is symbolized by the Sanskrit term Parinama. Many Hindu reformers compare this term in philosophy with Darwinism. The prominent Vivekananda, based most of his cosmological and biological ideas off this thesis. The Samakya texts state that there are two distinct fundamental eternal entities, the Pushara and the Prakati. The Prakati has three qualities, the Sattva, i.e. the purity or preservation, the Rajas, the creation, and the Tamas, darkness or destruction. When the equilibrium between these qualities is broken, the act of creation starts. Raja's quality leads to creation. Many Hindu philosophies mention that the creation is cyclic. According to the Upanishads, the universe and the earth, along with humans and other creatures, undergo repeated cycles of creation and destruction. A variety of myths exist regarding the specifics of the process, but in general, the Hindu view of the cosmos is as eternal and cyclical. The later Puranic view also asserts that the universe is created, destroyed, and recreated in an eternally repetitive series of cycles. In Hindu cosmology, the age of the earth is about 4,320,000,000 years old, one day of Brahma that is 1,000 times of the sun of four yugyas in a year, i.e. the creator or kalpala. 
and is then destroyed by fire or water elements. At this point, Brahma rests for one night, which is just as long as this day. This process is called parala, or the cataclysm, and it repeats for 100 Brahma years, i.e. 311 trillion, 40 billion human years, representing one of Brahma's lifespans. In Buddhism, there is the concept of temporal and spatial cosmology, the temporal cosmology being the division of the existence of a world into four discrete moments, the creation, the duration, the dissolution, and the state of being dissolved. This does not seem to be a sort of a religious division, however. The spatial cosmology consists of a vertical cosmology, the various planes of being, their bodies, characteristics, food, lifespans, beauty, and horizontal cosmology, i.e. the distribution of these world systems into apparently infinite sheets of worlds. The existence of world periods, i.e. moments, is well attested to by the Buddha himself. Jainism, like Buddhism and Hinduism, is another Indian religion. According to the Jain doctrine, the universe and its constituents, soul, matter, space, time, and the principles of motion, have always existed. Jainism does not support belief in a creator deity. All the constituents and actions are governed by universal natural laws. It is not possible to create matter out of nothing, and hence the sum total of matter in the universe remains the same. Jain texts claim that the universe consists of jiva, the life force, and ajiva, lifeless objects. The soul of each living being is unique and uncreated and has existed during the beginningless of time. Through the ages, Jain philosophers have rejected and opposed the concept of any omnipresent God, and this has resulted in Jainism being labelled as an atheist philosophy by rival religious philosophies. I personally really like this myth or theory. Jainism brings together some of the scientific things that we take for granted, in addition to some of the less scientific yet theological ideas presented in Buddhism and Hinduism. Now, of course, I've just scraped the surface with some of these creation stories. I didn't touch Greece or Rome and so many others. But we've come somewhat full circle here. For me, I don't discount any of these creation stories, be it Darwin or Old Norse or Genesis or ancient Egyptian. Darwin has a lot of his theories backed up with a tinge of common sense, some evidence and other narratives that the schooling system has rammed down many of our throats. Just like before Darwin, the religious stuff was rammed down that same educational pipeline. I do note this. It's about time someone came up with a new concept. All the religious ones seem outdated, while Darwin's was also a long time ago. You've been listening to the Alternative History Podcast. Like, follow, subscribe, review and recommend this podcast if you're enjoying the content. Thank you very much.